Hi, my name's Phil Davies and you'll also be listening to Chris Morgan on the School Sports Podcast. The views displayed in today's episode are our own views and not representative of the schools that we work at. Please enjoy the rest of the pod. Uh, Hello and welcome to episode six of the School Sports Podcast with me, Phil Davies, and my co-host, Chris Morgan. It's been a busy week, uh, many returning back to work. uh, visiting guidelines have been relaxed and sport has jumped back into our lives. Um, I just want to take this opportunity to apologise to the gentleman on the 12th uh, hole at Rickmansworth Golf Course who didn't hear my call of four on Friday evening Um, and also to my other half who's who's done her best impression of a bowling machine in the nets this week. Um, So yeah, busy week of sport. Um, Morgs, how are you, mate? Have you been hitting balls and getting other halves to throw balls down to you from the cricket nets or anything? Well, my other half uh, lives in America, so she'd have to have a big arm. But, um, but uh, no, I have been out on the uh, golf course. I managed to get nine holes in. We actually played sort of virtually match play. The pet, sort of two guys went out in front of us. They sort of WhatsApped us. They, they accumulated score, and we had to beat it. So that was good fun. Um, some absolute hackers out on the course, though. Um, yeah. I've, seen some, I've seen some pretty dodgy cyclists on the road. I uh, don't, don't know what's more dangerous, the poor cyclists or poor golfers, but some hackers on the course. Um, but a re- I sort of, sort of thought a real opportunity for golf. You know, um, everybody's keen to get out there. And some, I think some of the criticisms of golf that it isn't inclusive and it can be a bit stuffy. So hopefully they'll open their doors and get people on the course uh, and, and build on a, this sort of momentum potentially. Ah, yeah, goodness knows they need it this, this time as well. Um... And the topic for today, we're going back to what might, some might say are our glory, di- glory days, Morgs. Um, we're going back to university sport and we're looking at the transition from school sport into university sport. And we've got uh, three excellent guests. We've got Ali Higginson, um, who's studying sport and performance, um, who's in it, just finished his last year. Uh, we've got Gemma Ashworth, um, who used to teach at Brighton College, um, who's studying sport and exercise science um, and finishing that up as well. And we've got Nick Testo, who's the Director of Football um, at the University of Nottingham. Um, welcome, guys. Really, really glad to have you all on board. Hi there. Good to, good to see you all. Um, guys, it's really interesting. So we, we obviously, Morgs and I, very much from a school um, background. Uh, Nick as well, obviously, um, used to be the Director of Sport at Iding Lai College. So um, we'll have a really good understanding of the challenges and, and the uh, nuances of school sport. Um, Gemma, do you want to start us off by just telling us what your, your last eight weeks of experience have been like at university? Because obviously we, we don't have much of a clue about the university world, so give us a shout. Yeah, so obviously we haven't been allowed to be there really. Um, the library has been open, but it has been very like, socially distanced. I've been back at home and obviously all the learning is online. Uh, I had to do my dissertation online. I haven't, haven't been able to print it off and get that iconic photo at the University of Bath Lake. But um, all of our lectures and exams have also been online. So I had an exam the other day and I've got another one uh, in about a week's time. But um, yeah, it's very independent. Uh, Luckily, our tutors are there for us and they've been really good at actually communicating with us. But yeah, it's kind of every man for themselves really at the moment. And Ali, Ali, similar kind of experience being at the University of Bath as well. Um, How's it look for you? How in particular have kind of lectures and, and exams look for you, mate? Well, it's, it's interesting. Lectures obviously went all online pretty early, um, kind of had a mixture of um, people wanting to do it on Teams or Zoom um, to kind of present and then others kind of just presenting through through a PowerPoint and just kind of speaking over the top of over the top of those, which has been kind of interesting for us to kind of get um, knowledge in a new way. But um, yeah, it's, it's been difficult, but, but I think most people are, are managing pretty well and the university have actually been been pretty good at kind of handling everyone in, in their own way and people who have struggled more than others have they've been able to, to cope with that perfect yeah absolutely interesting time for everyone and nick how have you managed to to keep in touch with your your football team up at the university of nottingham um we've been basically doing a a, a sort of a program that's that they could do from home so um we've been doing we've sent them team builder exercises where they're all signed up to uh, to the app and and we're monitoring their progress in terms of fitness sessions. We have different phases that we're leading towards next uh, August, September, or whenever it starts. Um, and we also send out skills videos, uh, which the, the lads are doing at home. 
um, uh, where they're doing lots of different skills, um, all based positionally on what they, the positions that they play. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're keeping in touch with them pretty much every day because we're trying to keep them, sell, them ready for, for whenever it starts. Um, and we're actually all, all also sending out those programmes to school leavers who are actually trying to come to us in September. So we're already in that phase of transition, which is what this podcast is, is all about. So, uh, yeah, it's a really, it's a really interesting um, period because I just see it as a challenge, really, um, rather than, than an issue. Uh, but yeah, all the all the players have bought into it really well. Nick, one thing: how how much information do you get on prospective students, and how sort of joined up is is, is that sort of um, that dialogue from be it schools, be it from admissions at your side of things? Uh, how does how does the channel of communication work? It's really really um, important point actually, and this is really good for any students who are listening to this um, across the independent school sector or the state school sector. The first thing that any student can do to make the whole process easier is contact the head of sports um, of the sport that they're wanting to play at uni. Contact them early, talk to them, tell them about yourself, whatever level you play, um, because I I have a full-on tracking sheet of of so, so many players across the country that that bother to contact me. So it's not just about doing a UCAS form and sending it all off. Um, also, the way the way the registration works at the university is once if you put on your UCAS form or on your registration um, of interest at uni, anything that says anything to do with football that gets flagged up and sent to the head of recruitment at the university. That head of recruitment sends it to me, and my job is to follow that up. So if there's anyone anywhere that talks about playing football or football being an important part of their university experience, prospectively, I end up contacting them but it makes it a hell of a lot easier if they contact us if they're really really keen to make football uh, part of their their university experience um, and then from then it's just my my role uh, to keep in contact with that player um, and we track their application if there's any problems uh, I love talking to teachers about about that that person see if we can help uh, in any way uh, shape form make the the application easier uh, and and then we sort of roll through like that until until the day when when all the results come out. I think one one thing I sort of uh, I was interested to hear people's experiences about the transition, and I, I asked for some feedback on social media. And one thing that came back was um, actually it kind of rewards uh, students being independent. So actually, if if you um, you know you sort of haven't got the get up and go and the the where for all. You just end up going to university and not taking advantage of those opportunities. So, so it's really interesting that you, you know, that is a two-way process because I think just saying to the kids, um, well, when you go to university, it's up to you. Um, if that is the case, I'm not sure, and I can't speak for all all schools, but I'm not sure how good a job we are doing in terms of preparing our our kids. Um, to, to take on that responsibility because a lot of uh, our schools, you know, talking about the independent sector, have fantastic programs that are very um, staff led. Um, and actually, I think if, if there is a bit of an onus on the kids to, to, um, to do the running, as it were, I think perhaps we could prepare them better for that. You know, there's a local school here, um, and actually, a number of times I've been contacted by students at the school trying to arrange fixtures. And I think, you know, sort of traditionally, mm. probably at university, you have those sort of fixture secretaries. But maybe there's maybe there's we, there should be a greater emphasis in schools on, on pupils uh, occupying those roles. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I, I, I've, I've gone into a few schools that now and done presentations on it um, because it's it's a uh, it's a system that no one really knows about. You know, the, the, the pupils or the teachers in independent schools, I didn't know about it when I was when I was doing the sports at, at the two or three schools that I worked at for um, going and doing my own thing. So it, it kind of, um, it's really, really important that, that, that the, the youngsters, when they're starting to think about universities, that they are uh, informed about how easy it is just to make a phone call or just to send an email. Um, and then, then it's our job as staff at the universities and all different sports to then follow up, obviously. But, um, but yeah, I mean, we're, we're already we're already sending uh, all of our S and C programs, all of our skills programs, 
um, I think I've got something like 28, 30 players who, are, who I know are coming to us in September um, or have firmed us at least. Uh, and they're already on the programme because they've kept in touch with us and because they, they're really keen. Um, and that first week, Chris, is you're exactly right. That first week of university, uh, I've seen it in the, uh, in the welcome fairs where, where you have, I mean, there's 30, 36,000 people on campus. So when you turn up and you're just expected to suddenly find your sport and suddenly create this identity that is very different from, from being um, uh, so well known at your school and so well loved and so well cared for, um, to, to suddenly find this, this, this magnitude of people is really hard to, to get into the transition. Whereas if you can start that transition at the start of upper sixth, or even, to be honest with you, even in the middle of lower sixth, um, that that makes your whole life a lot easier because you don't need to choose which university you go to. You know, you could it could be that we're not the right place, but at least by doing that with four or five different universities, you're in touch with people that can put you in touch with people. And even a simple thing, Chris, like like ordering kits. If you know you want to go to a university, most of these uh, kit suppliers don't don't send kit for another six months after you've ordered it. So just by knowing where you want to go um, and contacting people early, then, then you can turn up with all the right kit. And that makes a massive difference in terms of identity and, and, and creating uh, that transition from school to university. So, so yeah, long-winded long answer, Chris, is you're right. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I find it incredibly depressing, you know, as a sort of uh, head of sport, when you spend all, all this time and money and energy trying to instill a lifelong passion for sport. And then when these kids get to the next stage, they, they just drop out. And I find that one of the most depressing, depressing things in sort of teaching. Um, yeah. and, and I do think probably on both sides, it's great to hear about your approach. Um, and I think probably on both sides, there are things we can do better to make that transition um, easier. But Phil, it's probably good to hear from some sort of current students, more recent students. Yeah, very much on the cold face. So I was just listening to what Nick was saying there. Ali and Gemma, do you, if you'd had that information before you applied for university, would that have made your experiences a lot more straightforward or were you lucky enough to, to be able to do that? Gemma, do you want to offer something first? Yeah, definitely. Um, I didn't actually contact the head of sport, the head of netball when I first joined. And actually that meant that I missed out on a pre-season which was just a bit of a nightmare because then I turned up to trials and I didn't really know anyone at all. And the people that I did know were the girls that I'd seen on the club, regional circuit, or even some girls that I'd even seen play on TV in Super League. So that was quite daunting. And I think if I had sent that message early and joined that pre-season, then that might have just eased that transition. Um, I definitely think what you said about having that transition early, because as you go into those sort of clubs all of the uh, the committee is all completely run by students and so having that sort of organization and being a part of that as a student is really important to sort of have those skills early I think. And, and Ali similar experiences yourself or um, you know um, the hockey club at Bath? I was actually quite fortunate I was actually quite fortunate with the, with the hockey club the um, first team coach got in touch with me um, over the summer um, a bit like Nick does with with his footballers, um, and kind of invited me to pre-season. Um, so I was actually quite fortunate in that sense, and um, did pre-season with with the, with the boys. There was about thirty of us, which kind of was three four weeks before um, what was Freshers' Week. Um, so got to know loads of people in the club, um, got to know the coaches, um, got programs set up for for gym stuff and um, and training, and kind of setting the standard of what level we want to be at, and having that transition into the, the difference between university sport and, and school sport and kind of the leap, the leap in performance that, that it actually is. Um, so yeah, I was, I was, I was fortunate in that sense. Um, unfortunately I was actually, I actually became injured during the preseason. So it was, uh, um, not necessarily the best start for me. Um, but yeah, no, definitely. I think like Nick said, with the getting in contact, I was fortunate enough to be made contact with, um, but there were plenty of people who rocked up to trials, um, in the same situation as Gemma that, were much better than some of the people who were on preseason, and if they'd been in there from the start, then they they would have potentially played for higher teams um, and kind of performed to a better standard, which is of course what the university wants. 
And and do you feel that you were sort of really prepared for that? Do you feel that your um, your school had de- de- really done a good job preparing you for that transition? Or do you think the sort of sink or swim nature of it is part of the filtering process? And, but you know, by now you should have those skills. And if you haven't, then so be it. Um, I was, uh, I think, I mean, I saw I was at Bradfield um, and they were quite accommodating with, with my sport. I've always been kind of hockey and cricket have been my two, two main sports. Um, so in, when I was in sixth form, they allowed me to go and train um, at my club side um, and play on the weekends for play hockey instead of football, which would have been what the first term sport. And um, so I played the first 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 term, played hockey for the club side, and then in the hockey term, um, played hockey for the school. Um, so they were they were quite good at that, and it kind of allowed me to introduce myself to to the club, and then obviously the players at the club who had been at university or um, even preseason stuff um, beforehand, who were kind of they were training at their home clubs for preseason from August before the season started in October. Um, and then moving on to university preseason, which was a little bit shorter. And Ali, I think that's so important, actually, is playing club sport, you know, because you can be in a little bit of a bubble just playing your sort of school sport. But I think if you play club sport and play representative sport, you realise that there are, there are lots of different teams that you can be part of and have really good experiences. And I think you're more inclined to mix with other people, not just your little bubble in your school. So I think it's really really important there how, how well prepared did you feel Gemma so for, for transition well uh, I was very fortunate that coming from Brighton College where sport is just top class there I was quite used to working and, and training hard and I think that made that transition between like, the high performance at Brighton College to the even higher performance at university like that bit easier um, but also I think what you said about club sport I played uh, for county and I also played for prem uh, as part of a club and all the way through school, we had about a core of six girls that I played with pretty much constantly for across the nine years that I was there. So we all knew exactly how we played. We knew where people would be on court before they'd even got there. And obviously that experience of clubs and going to those sort of county trials, learning to adapt to other people's style of play. I think that actually really helped me in that trial situation where in that instance, you have to be the best player you can be by being a player that everyone else also needs you to be, to be part of a team. So I definitely think I felt, I felt prepared in, in that sense, but it is quite, it is quite a daunting experience in get, going to a new team and getting that newfound respect with the people around you. Uh, but yeah, I think looking back, I think I was pretty well prepared for it. Yeah. Nick, um, somewhat controversial for me. Do you think, um, do you think there's a difference? Um, do you think it's easier for kids perhaps who haven't had um, the sporting opportunities that the two guys with us today have had to make that transition. I think, you know, some of our schools, I think there's an element of everything being on a plate. And I just wonder if we're at the next stage, whether there's a sort of difference, maybe with kids who are at a state school that perhaps hasn't got as, as good a sporting programme, whether they've got a bit more about them and whether they're a bit hungrier to take advantage of the opportunities. Yeah, it's... Um... It's quite interesting when 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 you get players come in um, and they're introduced to a fifty-two million pound sports village, and they're introduced to their S and C team who are going to be looking after them, and their physio team that are looking after them, and et cetera, et cetera. They've got they've got. I mean, some of the top universities now for sport, you know, the the provision is incredible and the opportunity. Obviously, independent school sport has developed so much in the last. Oh, the last 20 years but especially in the last five to ten years the the acceleration in quality of, of opportunity and provision that each uh, youngster gets is is incredible so you do get there are certain um people that come in students that come in that take it all for granted um because they're used to getting snc and psychologists and nutrition and they're used to getting all the top coaching because independent schools naturally hire very, very good coaching staff. So, um, so there is there is that element. I don't think it's as widespread as to say uh, a sort of generalised term of, you know, one one group of people uh, accept it and 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 have the drive to really take hold of all these opportunities more than another. But it is a it is something that we have to weigh up. Um, 
as a director of football and my coaching staff, we do have to weigh up and look at um, how motivated the youngsters are um, to to take hold of the opportunities. And it's something that I'm I'm trying to drive home to the players even now, whilst they're on lockdown. The fact that they're at the top of a you know, especially the first team. As I'm I'm working with 110 footballers at the moment, not just the first team. Um, but the first teamers have to understand they're at the top of a pyramid that is there's so many people that want to be part of that. Um, so we have to keep driving that message home. But I don't know the, the independent school circuit. There are so many great directors of sport out there, and I think as long as the the dialogue, as I say, from when they're lower sixth to upper sixth, with all of these different people that run different sports, is really clear and and honest from an early stage. Um, then, then I think you can you can nail the the, the issues quite quickly uh, that could come. It's about being proactive, really. Yeah, and on that, it's it's really interesting. You, you talk about how motivation plays a massive factor. I suppose at school, it's quite easy to to get a buy in and, and ensure people are playing and turning out each week. Um, obviously, you get that free choice and autonomy when you go to university, um, and motivation levels might change a little bit. I was just wondering. Um, Gem and Ali, what, what were the biggest changes from, from university sport to um, from, from school sport? Gem, do you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. Um, well, obviously at school, we did actually have quite a lot of like-minded girls who wanted to do well. And as a team, we were really successful because we trained a lot and worked with intensity when we did. Um, but as of one of two girls from my school team who went to club, when I went to Bucks, I was surrounded by those girls who again, as you said, wanted to play that sport. They didn't have a teacher encouraging them to do it because they were a really good part of the team or because it was for the health benefits or anything to do with the benefits of sport. But you're surrounded by girls that wanted to play because they wanted to be the best players that they could be to win games and get promoted. Um, and so I think that really adjusts that team ethos and that mentality when you're training. Um, I think that was quite a big difference and that obviously has that knock-on effect on our performance. Um, and I think mirroring that, the motivation to get up and train as much as we did. So in first year, I was training, I don't even know, like seven times a week, 7 a.m., 7 p.m. Uh, we had gym sessions. You missed, for example, uh, socials with your friends and you had to prioritize your school, work, uh, social life all together. Um, and I, so I think that sort of motivation to put sport first in front of other things was probably what differentiated between people and also probably between teams and where you wanted to stand in that whole ginormous spectrum of university sport. Ali, do you want to offer, offer your experiences on that? What, what were your biggest challenges and changes from, from um, life at Bradfield College into Bath Uni? I think, I, I think it was just a time management centre. I think in school, everything's quite structured and everything's, you're led down certain routes. You've got specific times for sports. I mean, we're quite fortunate that we could at lunch times at school or something, you could go into the cricket nets and um, and have a net or something like that. But when you get to university, it's all under your own chart timings. If you, you have a training session, but everything else, you, you're told you have to do it. But whether you actually do it or not is is up to you, really. Um, there's no one looking over you. Um, a lot of it is actually in the, in the hockey in the hockey side of things. It's actually player led, um, which is which I really enjoy. Um, but it means that you do have to do it. Um, and there's a gym session you've organized with some mates to go to the gym and and do your do your session that you've been you've been told to do on team builder or something like that um but yeah it's, it's it's the time management that you've got to balance that with with the work that you're doing um and making sure that you want to perform to the, your highest highest ability that you can um so yeah it's it, it it was difficult for me to start with um but you you do get used to it and it's it, it's something that as you become part of the club and you feel that you're part of, of the club that you're playing for um you do you do definitely kind of are motivated to to want to train more and train train hard um nick one of the common myths i hear about um university sport is, is the level of coaching um can drop off a little bit the, the lower down the spectrum you go um i was wondering if you could just offer a little bit of in, an insight onto um your coaching structure at the university of nottingham so um, this obviously changes throughout different clubs and different universities throughout the um, throughout the country. So I could pr pretty much only really talk about my the football club that I'm involved with. Um, so 
uh, we've made a kind of conscious decision um, to to make me director of football, but not necessarily first team manager or first team coach. Um, I then I then hire coaches to coach all the different teams um, from first to sixth. Now, from fourth to sixth, they do get naturally less of a provision than than a first team um, because part of it is they they they're in those teams because. Uh, some of them don't actually want to do the level of commitment that that uh, the two guys that are on here with us have had to do. But in terms of coaching, there has to be a base level of of quality assurance in my in my head. So um, uh, I aim to coach pretty much every team um, throughout the club, and then we're setting up or we've set up uh, a coaching philosophy, which all the coaches um, then put across to the players throughout the club in terms of a way. Um, that we uh, we play and the the style of that we play, um, and then on top of that, uh, the like the S and C programs we've sent out, that's club wide. Um, so so as I say, there's 110, 115 players at the moment that are on the same S and C program uh, throughout the whole football club. So it's something we have to be aware of because it is an issue throughout throughout university sports. Um, but you do get late developers and. If I mean one lad for us, um, in fact we were at Bradfield College uh, in January on a on a little training camp uh, where we got away from Nottingham and just went down down south a little bit more, and one lad came on the training camp who was a sixth team player um, who performed brilliantly, um, and uh, in the end he he won the league title with a second team by the end of the season. So we 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 have to make sure that. The developmentally, we've got a pathway for players in that if they if they're playing for the fifth, sixth, seventh, whichever team it is, that they do have a pathway for their development. Gemma, are they similar experiences in netball? I saw a couple of facial expressions when he said first to six, and are they similar in netball? Does each team have a coach um, in netball squads? Well, we're really lucky that we have um, some Super League players that are also quite involved with our netball side. So Rachel Shaw is currently the the um the coach of the first team and we've also had uh, Jeff Selby who used to be he's also now the new England England coach and she and at the moment Rachel oversees the teams and luckily actually at Bath we have five teams for netball which is which we didn't have when I first joined um but actually we have the Bucks system we have development which is a pathway where girls who didn't quite make that Bucks uh, that Bucks league can develop and that's all student led so a different player from Bucks teams, coaches different teams in developmental and there's also interhalls um, and there's even just like playing beginners through um, through, the, in, through the university netball officers uh, which was actually me and my friend Kate but um, the coaches that are specifically hired are only for the first and second team um, and the third down to the fifth team are all, all again student-led which actually the, the standard of coaching for that for the third, fourth and fifth team has actually been incredible because all the girls who are part of that Bucks team, um, a lot of them have those sort of coaching qualifications, but they're all completely volunteered. And as Ali said, because it is so student-led, it is very much a case of that whole self-motivation to be there and to help out other people. And I think that's also what makes such a great community, when, like, especially as part of the netball club, is because everyone is literally working for each other and to, and to develop each other's skills, really. It's interesting uh, listening to all your experiences. There's obviously a shift from school to university of it being much more student-led and the onus being on the student. I suppose as a, as a director of sport, listening to your experiences, I, I'm sort of thinking, you know, should I be doing, can I be doing more to prepare my students for that transition? Um, you know, I, I, we do do some coaching qualifications, but actually, Maybe, maybe there should be you know, a greater emphasis on preparing uh, to make the transition easier. One thing I put out on social media, I was interested to hear people's experiences from university. Um, and one thing that really, I said, perhaps, perhaps surprised is the, is the wrong word, but I was slightly taken aback by um, the people's um, experiences about initiations uh, and that really putting off a lot of people and saying, you know, that sort of drinking culture, um, and I could talk about my own experience. I remember sort of when I went to university and they, I remember standing in a field quite scantily clad, uh, drinking chili sauce, I think it was from a shoe or something 
sort of ridiculous like that and some sort of um, six foot five second row um, saying drink it and thinking, well, okay, I better do what he says. Um, and the guy next to me, I remember just going, no. And I was thinking, what are you doing? What are you doing? But now looking back at that experience, uh, he, you know, he was incredibly brave and clearly a confident young man in terms of what he was about and saying no to that. I thought that was an incredibly sort of brave thing to do. Um, but, you know, and we can we can laugh and joke about it, but actually it is this very serious problem. I think it does put an awful lot of people off. Uh, and actually, if you go to the extreme, I think it, you know, it can, it has led to the deaths of, of young people at university. So I just sort of wanted to, um, get an understanding of how prevalent are the sort of initiations, um, how much of a problem is it, and what is, and if, if we agree it is a problem, which I'm, I'm, I'm sure we do, because we want to have inclusive environments that everybody feels um, that they can take part, what is being done from a sort of university perspective. So maybe perhaps Gemma and Ali, do you set us off with your sort of experiences around that sort of initiations and drinking culture, and how much of a problem is it? First. Go on, Gemma, you go first. Yeah. First? Yeah. And um, I mean, I think the simple answer is that university sport does come with a drinking culture. Um, I think the idea of the drinking culture comes from when teams like get together and celebrate to sort of harness that sort of social side. But I think it is important to mention that across universities now, there are really strict policies that are implemented across student unions to minimise that sort of like lad culture that is sort of quite prevalent. Um, where people just think it's necessary to drink to fit in or drink because they're told. But um, you can't deny that there's a drinking culture when every Wednesday the student union puts on nights for sports teams that are literally called SCORE that is put on for people to go dress up, have a good time. And yes, that does tend to, yes, drinking does tend to be the centre of that. But I think it is important, especially with all these new policies and, for example, a lot of the negative press about this drinking culture in universities that at the beginning of all of our, especially in our netball season, in those sort of welcome drinks that we have, we don't we don't have initiations anymore. We have welcome drinks, and um, they always say that if you don't want to drink, you don't have to drink. Um, and I think that is sort of a positive, a positive move across universities. And obviously, because of that negative press, people are definitely stepping up and doing more about it. Ali, how about you? Yeah, I think it's I think it's similar to Gemma. There's there's a balance between kind of the social aspect of it and actually drinking. Um, I've found throughout my four years at uni that to have a good time at a social, you don't have to drink. You don't have to be forced to drink. Um, it does. It it did happen to be honest at the start. Um, but since since we st I've started at uni, we've um, had an inclusivity secretary um, in the hockey club that has definitely helped. Um, any problems that anyone faces um, if they're feeling um, that they're not enjoying their involvement in the club or something like that. Um, they can go to, to those people who have been appointed by the club um, for that specific reason. Um, I feel like compared to, to when I started, it's definitely on, a, on an upward trend in terms of how well things are being dealt with. Um, it's definitely not so much a drinking culture as it was before, but it, it obviously is still it is still there. Um, and like Gemma said, when when the university is putting on a, a night on a Wednesday when everyone's finished their their games, what what do they kind of expect? Um, and, and yeah, so it's I mean it's it's the same as society. Sport is sport and society revolves around going to the pub, watching a game, going to to a mate's house and and having a beer with with your mates, and that's that's just how it is. Um, so I think it'll be it's. It's very would be very difficult to totally get rid of that culture, but I think that is a part of of sport in general. And if you that is how people in, in, enjoy sport and watching sport and and celebrating playing sport. I think um, that inclusivity secretary sounds like an amazing idea because of, of there are you know there is a drinking culture associated with uh, some of the sports at university as you've spoken about. But I think it becomes a real. Uh, challenge when people feel they have to take part in it. and 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 also when they have to take part of it to get in teams you know we've spoke about about the whole process being more student-led well if the students are picking the sides you know they might be rewarding the guy who who can drink the beer, a beer the quickest rather than the best player so um 
So I suppose it's really important that selection is transparent. Nick, I've never made it into a team if that were the case, mate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'd have been twelfers all, all year long. <laughs> Nick, um, from the university perspective, what what are you got? How as was how prevalent is it, and um, you know, is it a problem, and what's been done? I think Ali and Gemma have just hit it in the head. To be honest with you, um, I think there's. I think firstly, there's a difference between a drinking culture and an initiation culture. Uh, I think you have to you have to draw a very very heavy line as to um, the difference between those two. So. Uh, I think I think the Wednesday nights you kind of accept that everyone's going to go out and enjoy themselves. Um, but what uh, the university, uh, just like Bath, just like Gemma and, and Ali have just said, there's a very very firm line by Bucks and by the universities now that there are no initiations. Um, it's as simple as that, uh, and that's what we have as a as a line um, in terms of the the football club where where players, if they don't want to do something, they're not forced to do anything. So I, I actually had a situation at the start of this year, which uh, one lad who came to us from an independent school, very, very good footballer, lovely boy, and I got a call from his friend uh, saying he's going to leave the football club. I said, what, why is he going to leave? This was five weeks into pre-season, and he had a, an amazing pre-season. And he said, oh, he just doesn't want to do the social thing. He doesn't want to drink. He doesn't like drinking. I said, fine, but why is he leaving? And he said, uh, he said, oh, he thinks he's going to be forced into it. And I, I told the president straight away. I said, listen, we need to have a chat because is this true? Is it not true? And the president said, no, it's not true. He's obviously just taking what the, the stereotype. Um, so they, they, they actually called him, went out for a coffee with him and said, no, no one has to do anything. And that lad now has had a really great season. Um, He's gone to the socials after after the matches and uh, watched um, watched the teams who have done their match reports and all that sort of stuff. But he hasn't needed to drink. Um, he hasn't been forced into anything anywhere. But he's loved it. Um, and he actually has a lecture at nine o'clock on Thursday morning as well, which which he wants to get away for. So I think I think it's um, it has been an issue. Um, I don't think yet it's very very difficult to 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 stop the whole sort of. Uh, culture of going out on a Wednesday night um, but uh, if you get uh, everyone working together um, in terms of the culture of the club I think it's entirely possible to um, well it's not just possible it's important to cut out the whole initiation thing um, and for those that really really want to play higher levels a lot of them actually just like Ali said go to social until sort of 10 or 11 having not drunk go home and then they're probably training the next morning or doing a warm down next morning or or they'll be preparing for a regional or or whatever they're doing so so yeah i i, I think it's um it's changed a lot over the last four years a hell of a lot since i've been involved anyway so so yeah it's quite positive yeah it seems like that value of respecting people has become a lot more ingrained in, in what programs do and it's interesting you're talking about um, people having to make sacrifices um, for the sake of their sport. I just want to touch on, and, and maybe Nick, you might be able to answer this one first, how important do you think university is for um, aspiring professionals, essentially? Now, obviously, quite a different approach in football, you know, with, with the academy system. Um, yeah. Do you think aspiring footballers, do you think there's a place for, for university football for aspiring footballers, do you think? Well, I mean, that, that's, uh, that's the dream. Um, I was at a sporting excellence dinner uh, before this whole lockdown finished and um, a, uh, a table tennis player that goes to the University of Nottingham was uh, discussing, uh, one of the questions asked to her was what, what next? And she said, oh, I'm going to complete my, uh, my doctorate and then I'm, uh, I'm moving towards the next Olympics. And it, <laughs> that's, so for the individual sports, you've got world champions, Olympians all over the shop. Even hockey, actually, hockey. There's, there's so many players that play playing the England pathways. For football, um, it's about cultivating a relationship with the football clubs. So um, I, uh, I think there's a place. I genuinely think there's a place, especially since COVID, um, for for the lower level football clubs to want a different sort of level of recruitment. Um, and if we can uh, put in place a good enough program, which um, is developing each year, I'm not going to say it's there yet at all but if we can put a place 
uh, a program in place where they're not just playing Bucks fixtures, but we're playing uh, pro clubs, we're playing representative teams, national representative teams, all of that sort of stuff. Then we can prepare those players for that pathway to to get into that world. So hopefully, I mean, hopefully we can we can develop that. But um, but I, th- I think that place is going to become more and more prevalent as as years go by. Um, because football clubs want the same thing as anyone. They they want easy recruitment, don't they? They want they want to know that they're getting a player that's been trained, that's been prepared, so that they have to do minimal work, spend minimal money to get a good product. So just like the independent school circuit, independent schools have produced footballers now. Um, so so why not the university circuit? It's interesting, Nick. Um, you talk about the football academies wanting to produce good footballers. I suppose my my question to you would be: Do they want to? Uh, give people the skills to transition out of football, um, and and I, it, it, I have very limited experience in sort of youth development from a football perspective. But it seems to me that if you are an aspirational professional footballer, um, you have no choice or very little choice to make sacrifices to your education. Whereas if you uh, want to become a top netballer, a top hockey player, top cricketer, there is that university pathway open to you. I, I could I could go on for hours on this this topic um, hours and hours and hours. Um, uh, in many ways, football is um, uh, has has been for years. Uh, in in my opinion, not University of Nottingham or anyone that I work for, I, I think it's uh, ethically on very very dodgy ground, uh, if not destroyed uh, in terms of the the treatment of young players. Um, I would say that there are a few clubs, uh, and I'm lucky enough, I've worked with us, like lots and lots of clubs now in England, both through uh, school work that I used to do and through university work now, where, where the clubs are realising that they have to look after uh, a youngster's education. And also, what, what's interesting is on the circuit now, because of the independent schools, funnily enough, um, because of um, the way that coaching has been developed, youngsters are choosing to do education rather than play football so football clubs are now having to fight that uh, especially the lower level ones um, where they're saying okay well we've got to now give this education to them because otherwise we're going to lose a player Um, so it's still from a very selfish and ethically shaky uh, mindset but even from their selfish point of view they're having to now listen to the schools and universities because there are those players out there so i've i've got a a very very um uh good uh, friendship with Notts County, for example, who um, have a whole set of players that we're now looking at their pathway for the next five years, believe it or not. We've, we've had a meeting over 14 and 15 year olds and we're looking at the pathway to get them through A-levels or BTECs or um, IBs or whatever they're doing at their different schools, um, but also getting them through uh, a University of Nottingham programme. So they need to get the, the qualifications to get into University of Nottingham then going through that while still being able to play at Notts County. Uh, and it's really forward-thinking. It's really, really forward-thinking. It's quite an exciting period. Um, but there's, there are several clubs that are doing it. Unfortunately, there are also several clubs that really don't care um, and uh, and are, are slightly morally on, on shaky ground, in my opinion. Um, but it's, it's all again, it's all about you have to create a good enough programme where people sit up and listen. You have to create a good enough program where the development of the player is, is at the first heart of things uh, and you have to develop a, a, a good uh, communication system throughout the football clubs and the university um, in order to show that we're not any threat. In fact, we can only be a positive to them. Jim, Jim and Ali, quickly, wondering if you could give us a quick summary of, of advice essentially for um, any aspiring netballer or hockey player who's considering um, trying to make it as a professional and, and how a university programme might fit in with that. Ali, do you want to kick us off with hockey? Yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult because obviously hockey compared to a sport like football is nowhere near that kind of professional level. Um, it's turning into that, um, which is good for the game. Um, but it's, it is very much, I think, compared to something like football, um, a lot of high level Premier League hockey players have come through universities. Um, so the university is a um, kind of a natural pathway for, for them anyway. Um, whether that's the case in the future, I, I'm not sure. And whether it 
turns towards how football was and maybe back again. Um, I'm not sure, but it's, I think university is key for the players. There's a lot of coaching around kind of the international setup that they um, kind of intertwine with, with the university coaches. So there's um, age group coaches at university that can, um, that are like, so at Bar, for example, we've got under 21 England coaches, etc. that, that are there to, to help and guide, guide you through that. Um, so I think for hockey, it's slightly different um, and it is a natural, a natural pathway. Um, I don't know what it's like for, for netball, but it's, it's definitely a lot different to sports mm. like football. Yeah, is it quite, is, from, from what I gather, the university system's quite important in netball, is that right? Yeah, so most of the Super League teams are based out of the university. So obviously at University of Bath, we have Team Bath. At Loughborough, there's Loughborough Lightning. University of Surrey, the Surrey Storm. Um, and as Ali sort of said, there is that age group. So at Bath, there is under 13, under 15, under 19, um, that, that development into that Super League, into that Super League pathway. Um, one of the things and one of the issues I think is with netball is because there's only about eight or so Super League teams. Um, for example, if I was in Brighton, my nearest university was Surrey, which is quite a bit of a drive away. Um, and so for me to try and get into that sort of performance pathway I went through, I joined a club uh, and tried to develop through Prem, uh, Premier League netball, uh, and also through county and regional pathways. So there's either those two routes of that county regional and then hopefully through that selection or to develop. And then when as you get into university or through those university pathways that develop from a young age is to slowly make your way through that high performance academy and hopefully into the top tier. Perfect. Uh, yeah, too right. And, and you see that really uh, evidently with the, uh, the the development of the Super League and how, how big that's become. And it must be hugely um, important for the, for the netball um, programs and to work that through new universities. So, guys, really thoroughly interesting discussion and hopefully some excellent nuggets of information for um, pupils teachers, lecturers, whoever it might be to take away. Um, if you've listened to any of our previous podcasts, which I'm sure you all have, um, being you know huge school sports fans, uh, we, we wrap up with some quick fire questions. Um, and, and these are uh, a little different um, based on, on your experiences. And Nick, feel free to um, answer these however. But the first one is obviously um, university is a lot about fancy dress. So what's your um, best fancy dress uh, that you've done, starting with Ali? Um, during your time at university? Oh, best fancy dress I've done. We've, we, have a, um, we have a social uh, called the Tour de Bath, which is by far everyone's favourite, where we all dress up in cycling lycra um, and uh, get micro scooters and do a, do a pub crawl around, around Bath, which is always good fun. So lots of uh, tight lycra, which is quite entertaining for some people. I've seen seen your your rig. Yeah, that'll be a sight for some. Uh, Gemma, <laughs> um, probably one of the worst or oh, funny outfits is one of the socials we do is um, elderly and babies. So if you're a freshman, you dress up as a as a baby, and if you're a second, third, fourth, fifth year, you dress up as an old an old granny or granddad. And um, that was quite funny going to going to buy those glasses and spray painting your hair grey and going to the charity shop and picking out the most appalling dress you can find. Um, that was definitely, that's definitely quite a funny, a funny fancy dress that I had to do. And, and Nick, we, we may spare your blushes on that one, but I'll ask you, ask you <laughs> the next one. Um, what would be, and, and this is for all three of you, what would be your best piece of advice um, for someone applying to university um, and, and with a, a mind on the sport? Uh, I, I would say what I said earlier on contact contact the person that runs the sport for the universities that you want to go to and contact them early that is I can't tell you how important that is to make the transition earlier and more more effective Gemma I think it's just to have confidence in yourself to turn to go and take go to those trials or go to that new the new sport that you wanted to try or even to the sport that you've always loved um, and have that confidence in your ability to be there, to pick, pick yourself up and go on your own um, and enjoy it. Because I know sometimes people feel like they have to be surrounded by that sort of bubble or go with a friend. But you turn up to, th to situations like that. And as you said, there's lots of people in the exact same situation. Um, and that's sometimes the best way you can make friends and develop that group. So have confidence in yourself. Ali? 
Yeah, just just get involved as much as you can. Um, whether that's in, the, in like Jem says, in the sport that you, you kind of maybe want to do, or just everything else, just anything within a club, get involved as much as you can. It's a bit of a cliche, but it is as as much as you say as as much as you put in, you will get out. And that's, I mean, I've I've done that and enjoy, thoroughly enjoyed my time at the University of Bath because of that. Um, and I'd like to think that most people in in the hockey club there and the netball club and and all the other all the other clubs have done exactly the same. Amazing, amazing! Some excellent insights there, guys. A, a huge thank you. Um, quick shout out. What's what's next for for Gem and, and Ali? Obviously, last year at uni. Just a quick. What, what are you guys up to next, Gemma? Uh, so I have secured a place to go work at an international school in Dubai, which I'm very excited about. I'm going to go teach uh, and be part of the netball system there. Um, and also, I joined touch rugby as part of my university life as well. So hopefully, get involved in touch rugby, teach some dance, and basically have a start a new life there, which is really exciting. Great stuff. You can probably. Put that all down to my teaching at school, can't you, Jim? That uh, I don't think so. <laughs> Ali, yeah, we'll edit that out. Yeah, Ali, what about yourself? Um, <laughs> yeah, just looking for jobs now. Um, finished finished uh, last week, so it's looking for jobs. I did a, a job as a, a teaching assistant on my placement year. Um, thoroughly enjoyed that. So looking to some maybe teaching roles and maybe some other things that I can find, but obviously with this COVID-19, who knows what's going to be available at the moment, but um, fingers crossed that I'll find something soon. And Nick, business, business as usual when we get when you get back into the swing of things, I'd imagine, yeah? Yeah, I think it's just like you guys are probably doing, trying to work out plan A, B, C, D, E, F, however many plans there are for whatever time we might be coming back or or not. So, yeah, it's a lot, a lot of planning, a lot of communication, but... Um, yeah, just trying to get my 5K time down, actually, to be honest with you. Um, but I've got enough time for it, so happy days. Good on, you. Good on you. Right, guys, thanks ever so much. Really thoroughly interesting discussion, and have a good rest of the week. Thank thanks, you. guys. Thank you. Thank you. A huge thanks there to Gemma, Ali and Nick. And if you guys have anything that you'd like us to discuss on the School Sports Podcast, then don't hesitate to get in touch via LinkedIn, Twitter or email. And we look forward to hearing from you. Goodbye. <laughs>